Patrick Esmond White. This is Canada Reimagined. Today, the Digital North. We're told we live in a so-called age of communication. In the long run, historians will probably call it the age of the great extinction, but why quibble? The two are totally entwined. The point is, to avoid extinction, for Canada to flourish, all the basics of modern life depend on information. I'll return to communications issues later in more depth, but for the time being, let me focus on the North only. The North, of course, suffers from very poor communications services. Half a century ago, CBC Radio tried to fill the void and did important work. Back in the 1970s, for example, the CBC covered the Mackenzie Valley Pipeline Inquiry. The inquiry found there would be significant risk but little economic benefit from a pipeline up the valley. In fact, it concluded that large-scale non-renewable energy projects rarely provide more than temporary, low-skill, low-wage jobs. The CBC supported Indigenous cultures. Back in the 70s, a producer named Les McLaughlin recorded a whole number of northern musicians, and that started a trend. Culturally, all this was empowering. The CBC was truly part of the fabric of northern culture, and often in unexpected ways. I recall being in a bar in Inuvik enjoying caribou stew with CBC radio on in the background. Suddenly, the bar went quiet. The locals perked up to listen in on the health of a little girl who'd been flown south to the hospital. It was Global Village Radio. Now, of course, the North still needs modern communications, but the technology is very different and the void still exists. Cell service is spotty and the internet is slow. During the pandemic, it got so bad that the broadband service in Nunavut had to ask users to please limit their usage. Poor communication services are common to all rural and remote regions. Small towns across Canada have the same problem, the same grievance, though usually not quite as bad. Big cities can justify the cost of infrastructure. Much of Canada? Not so much. High-speed communications are today an essential service, and Canada has a huge digital divide between the haves and the have-nots. Income is one reason. Poor people can only afford poor service. But the North has it worse. It simply has no reasonable service. To fix this, the federal government announced a deal with Telsat, the Canadian satellite company, to provide high-speed internet access throughout the North. Telsat will get $1.44 billion from Ottawa for Lightspeed, a low-Earth orbit network of nearly 300 satellites that will offer services at speeds that compare to fiber optics. Northwest Tel, a Bell subsidiary, will retail the services. They'll have competition from Starlink, an Elon Musk company. SpaceX, also owned by Musk, is launching thousands of Starlink satellites that will provide telecom services. The terminals alone will cost around $800, so it's not cheap. However, in a few years, the North will have very reliable, high-bandwidth, low-latency services. That is, lots of data, very fast, very reliable, and very expensive even with subsidies. The dilemma is, if this is an essential service for everybody, it has to be affordable. 
Every community, every home must have telecommunications to support telemedicine, online education, and both commercial and government services. Resource industries will require a lot of bandwidth. Canada must close this digital gap by making services affordable. Indigenous leaders know that modern communication is as critical as clean water or access to health care. Affordable access will be essential to democracy. It shrinks distances, unites peoples, and shares knowledge and values, but only if everybody has access. So here we have, or will have, Starlink versus Lightspeed, with neither of them really affordable. One is a corporate venture controlled by an apparently unhinged right-wing billionaire. The other is a stepchild of Ma Bell. What then could we do to bring better, cheaper services to everybody in the North? It's a small leap in logic to conclude that, like healthcare, people in remote areas may be best served by a single-payer system, that is, a public utility owned by the province that could provide modestly priced access to the digital commons in all remote regions of Canada. The utility would fully fund service providers like Starlink driving down the cost to consumers. A public utility could justify owning this essential service if it supports a prosperity strategy. That is, resource revenues would have to pay the bill. A publicly owned utility would provide content as well, it would promote indigenous cultures and languages, music and entertainment, news and information, and help manage health, education, and other public services. All these are essential tools for the First Nations to control their own destiny. Dramatically updated and made independent, much like Radio Canada in Quebec. A service that's already very good could be great. With control over both carriage and content in the digital commons, traditional cultures might just have a chance to survive the cultural extinction now underway. Just like French in Quebec, indigenous languages should be valued and supported. This is important because First Nations youth today often face a difficult choice. On the one hand, they cherish the love of family and culture. On the other, the South offers an escape from poverty. This is a false choice. But changing the equation requires all the elements of a strategy work together. The digital commons can do this, but only if the industrial strategy is also in place. And ultimately, it's all about money. No surprise, many First Nations have their act together already on all of this. For example, the Atuktuarvik Corporation, the investment company that ensures Inuit participation in major economic opportunities in Nunavut. And there are others. But let me back up. It's not only communications that should be owned by a public utility. Canada would benefit from publicly owned corporations that support a comprehensive green industrial strategy and a cultural strategy based on diversity. A vision for the North would include energy from SMRs, transportation, including airships, modern communications, and income from resources. To turn this economic activity into a better life for northern residents, scientists and architects would set to work. Indigenous architects would redesign villages to embrace past and future. Town centers would be reimagined. Municipal offices, schools, medical facilities, retail shopping, and other services would all connect 
to the energy hub. They would plan water purification, sewage treatment, greenhouses, and hydrogen stations. Much of this would come from plug-in construction modules that are fabricated, mass-produced down south, and delivered by airship. We can imagine doing much of this to live in space. Why not here on Earth? Of course, all this costs money. Canada owns the land and can create an industrial strategy that welcomes green investors, but that won't by itself unlock the wealth unless the First Nations are also totally on board. Find a way to do that and everything changes. You've been listening to Canada Reimagined. My thanks to Tom Platt for the theme music, Tom Evans for my artwork, and to Harbinger Media, a collection of Canadian independent podcasters that I'm honoured to join. I'm Patrick Esmond-White. Tune in again and spread the word.